Hi, everyone. It's Bean, and welcome to another all-new episode of Great Moments in Weed History. Today, we're going to be talking with multi-Grammy winner Damian Marley. Now, his father, Bob Marley, I have to say, is one of my favorite artists of all time, somebody whose music and lyrics had a profound effect on me as a young person, and of course, to the rest of the world, is not just a icon of reggae music, but of the global struggle for justice. This is something that Damien and I talk about in our conversation. I just want to make clear that I am also a huge fan of his music. He is definitely not getting by on the family name. Damien is a tremendously talented and dynamic artist in his own right. I love his albums. I have seen him perform on many occasions. So it was a real thrill to catch up with him and really dig into his feelings about this plant that we both love. The conversation you're about to hear is a few years old. It was recorded backstage at the Emerald Cup when Damien Marley was the headliner at that event. The Emerald Cup is, of course, California's premier cannabis competition. Growers, hash makers, edibles makers, topical makers, tincture makers, everybody in the cannabis maker world in California dreams of being crowned an Emerald Cup champion. Abdullah and I have both been judges at the Emerald Cup in the past, and you can actually hear us talk about this in an episode we called... We just judged a prestigious weed competition. So go back in the Great Moments in Weed History podcast feed. You can find that episode and you'll know the vibe that was going on and why Damian Marley was in such a good mood when we had this conversation. I think it had a little something to do with the dozens of jars of weed that were uh, gifted to him shortly before we hit record and started talking. Abdullah is still on hiatus this week, so I found this conversation for you all when I was digging around in an old desk drawer, found an old drive, hooked it up to my computer, and realized I've got some really amazing, never-before-heard, good audio-quality interviews that I can share with you over the next few weeks. And there's actually some pretty big names and some really fascinating conversations coming up which is just to say, hit subscribe right now to make sure you don't miss any future episodes of this podcast. And if you want to go a step further and directly support Great Moments in Weed History and our ongoing project to preserve the history of this plant, please visit us at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. That's where you can support us on Patreon with a little as a dollar. You can also put five on it. And for a little more, you can get a signed copy of my book, How to Smoke Pot, properly mailed directly to you. And at any level of Patreon support, you can watch the video version of this podcast. You will see me lighting up this J right now. See me waving at you and know that you are directly helping us make this show and share it with the world. And most of all, you'll be helping to preserve cannabis history before it is rewritten or greenwashed out of existence. Speaking of preserving things, we'd all love to live in a functioning democracy, wouldn't we? Well, 
Please do your part by getting registered to vote. And best of all, you can go to CannabisVoter.info. That's the Cannabis Voter Project. And you can sign up there and learn all about how cannabis is definitely on the ballot this year and every time we vote in this country. The more weed people who register and vote, the more legalization we're going to have and the better the legalization will be. As this one example, John Fetterman is running for senator in Pennsylvania. He is somebody who has spent the past couple of years literally flying a weed flag loud and proud from the state capitol right outside his office where he is currently the lieutenant governor. And now you can back him in his effort to become Pennsylvania's next senator. Also, just a note, this is a weed history podcast, not an electoral politics podcast. But when it comes to the weed issue, I feel the need to make it very clear where the two parties in our unfortunately only two-party system come down on this vital issue. And it's very easy to do because in April of this year, Congress voted on a legalization bill and the vote tally was this. Republicans voted against legalization, 202 to just three in support, while Democrats favored legalization, 217 to just two against. So whatever you think about Republicans and Democrats, whatever you think otherwise is going on in this country, I just got to be frank and clear with you and say that if somebody is trying to tell you Republicans are actually the ones who support legalization because blah, 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 well, that person is full of shit and you can point at that scoreboard. So vote your conscience, but don't have any illusions as to which party supports legalization, which party opposes it. Please go to CannabisVoter.info right now for all the information you need to get registered. In fact, I'd say hit pause right now and go get yourself registered to vote. And while you're there, you can stay paused until you've had time to roll a joint or split a blunt or pack a bong or endabulate a dab or blaze up a half J like I'm doing right now, because once you're registered to vote, I'm already registered to vote. We're all going to be ready to settle in for this conversation with Damian Marley. It was a high honor to talk to him. And I got to say, for me, this conversation in and of itself constituted a great moment in weed history. So I invite you all to join Abdullah and I in getting ready for another... Great moment in weed history. What was the cannabis that, that first came into your life? Well, in Jamaica, growing up. You know, herb is very much a part of our culture in Jamaica, especially as Rastas. And just as young youths looking for mischief, you know, mm -hmm. as a kid. And back in those days, it wasn't, that was before I was really even aware of strains. And, you know, you just want some herb, you know what I mean? So you just buy, you know, a $5 bag of weed and you're good, you know what I mean? 
until of course you become a more experienced smoker. And then what we really started to, in Jamaica, for example, then you'd say that the herb from the west side of the island, like Negril and those areas, particularly a place called Orange Hill, is known to be some of the best quality. So as you get older now and become more of a connoisseur, you start trying to get herb that comes from that side of the island, particularly, you know what I mean? Till now it's reached to a level where you, you have even, you know, strains from all over the world are being grown there. Just, you know, they're, they're catching up to speed just like everyone else is, you know. And, and they're catching up with, with the law as well, right? Yes, they have decriminalized it recently and are moving toward trying to build an industry even though it's still, you know, it's still in the process of being put together. But yeah, there's, there's been some good progress with that. And is that something you follow closely, you would want to be a part of? Yes, for sure. I was actually investigating because, um, to my knowledge, they're soon to be giving permits to grow. So I was really trying to see if I could get myself on the list to be you know, a person who could have a grow there. And what do you think that that change would mean for Jamaica? Well, first and foremost, as it does everywhere else, you know, I mean, with the legalization, I know... You know, there's a lot of talk about, okay, you know, how the, how the business and the law and all of that side of it works within, you know, should corporate, you know, companies be able to have a part in it and all of, the, all of that detail, you know. But for me, the thing I think you have to say is a victory, regardless of how you cut it, is the fact that youths now smoking herb don't have to become criminals if they're caught by police. And like I say again, for us that it's been such a part of our day-to-day life, that's a big weight off the shoulders. To know that you can travel in a vehicle and, you know, or you can, just that you can have herb and it's not something that's illegal. So I think that in itself is, is the best thing, you know. And then, of course, aside from that, Jamaica has always been known for herb. And a lot of people visit Jamaica because of the herb, even though they can't say it, like, you know, literally. But that is a big part of the attraction of the island. So now that it would be something that you can say and you can promote the tourists, say, hey, come and have herb here in Jamaica. I think that would only be a plus for us also. And have you ever been on the other side of that? Have you ever had trouble with the law over it? Yeah, I've had trouble with the law. I mean, yeah, but not, not to any extent, die extent. You know, I mean, I've had not spent any nights in jail or anything yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. But it's still that day-to-day reality, right? Yeah, you know, of course. And you, so you, you've been performing music since you were very young, do you see cannabis yeah. influence your creativity, influence your music? How does, how does, do you use it as a creative tool? Yeah, of course. I mean, look, I mean, to tell you the truth, cannabis is such a part of my life that, I mean, it's always a part of my creative process. You know what I mean? To tell you the truth, for the most part, you know what I mean? Um, you know, and it's like I said, it's a part of our day-to-day life. So for sure, it, it influences a lot of things. And, and we have songs that, we have written songs about the herb itself. So, I mean, it's inspiring that we even have lyrics about it. So, of course, it's a part of our creative process. You know, the stereotype is sometimes, oh, if you smoke, you're going to be lazy mm-hmm. and you're not going to want to do anything. And, mm. and I think people who really care about and understand cannabis know that that's part of these stereotypes to, to make us the other. And, and, but how, how, how would you recommend to people to get the most out of it? Well, everyone is different and every, it works differently for everyone. Like some of my brothers don't smoke as heavily as I do. First and foremost, I would say that if you're not a smoker, then the best thing is to, I would say, eat it. Because smoking in general is not healthy. Um, outside of that, it's, you, you have to try it. There's different strains, so different strains affect you differently. So, you know what I mean? Some, you might have a strain that doesn't make you feel energetic and kind of makes you feel a bit more relaxed. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to try out the different ones and see how it affects your body. But there's definitely strains that keep you up 
still at the same time and you know that's energized it's a learning process with each person because it, each everything affects each person differently each strain affects each person differently so you kind of still kind of see what works for you you know some people you might really need to not smoke while you're working and wait until it's time to cool out and you know what i mean in the evenings while other of us others can smoke and of course it depends on the job too as a musician you know sometimes to be in a very kind of creative you know <laughs> higher space is good you know what i mean meanwhile you might not want to do that if you if you you know if you're an accountant or you know you know it go so and there, i feel there's really a spiritual aspect to your music as well do you do you find cannabis part of your spiritual life would you put it in those terms yeah because of course i mean as rastas you know that marijuana is part of our religious sacrament you know it, it when, we, when we smoke then put you in a space where you kind of inside yourself inside your own mind and your meditation so that that kind of end up help your spiritual evolution as you can see cannabis is really like i said again a part of our day-to-day life it's something we use yeah. basically every day so it, it is again it's a part of our day-to-day rituals we as rasta me as myself as an individual Damian. a little bit of a family tradition i think too yeah of course of course <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah man so you know yeah. Probably your whole life, people have associated you with cannabis before they know you, in a way. Yeah, I mean, of course, being that my father is who he is and what he's known for. And, and I also want to talk about what I think is great about the fact, you know, with the herb becoming legal now in a lot of places and the opportunity for more exploration of the herb. I'm very interested to see what the other qualities that they'll discover. You know, just like how we're learning a lot now about CBD and, you know, these different qualities that are in the herb. And, you know, there's hundreds of other chemicals that, that mm-hmm. you know, is in the bud. So we're really interested to see what the research comes back with when they get deeper, now that they have the opportunity to, to research the herb some more. We've learned so much through the science about its medicinal properties and the individual components as research has become more possible. Yes. But I, was were the medicinal properties something that a generation, two generations back in Jamaica, people just knew about more as a folk tradition? Yes. That is something that has been, like, it's, it's herb is the healing of the nation. There's, like, so many songs in Jamaica where you hear people singing that. You know what I mean? So you, you Peter Tash from Peter Tash time in telling you that, right? And all these kind of people. So... And Jamaica, just Jamaica in general, our, our culture, especially in, in the countryside, they use a lot of different herbs, not just marijuana, but there's all kind of herbs that they use to make tea, leaf of life and comfrey and all kind of different herbs that they use as, as, as medicines. So we're very much into that culture, you know what I mean, and that way of thinking. So what we really lack now over the years was really the scientific research. And that's again now. So now it's, it's, it's almost like we're looking at them now and say, we told you so, you know what I mean? But, we just didn't have we just didn't have the ability to break down the compounds and 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 you know get as meticulous and as detailed as they are now. And do you think that changes that ability to say you know look now we have this science? Do do you feel it's changed the way the rest of society looks at at, at cannabis culture and? Oh, definitely. I think the rest of society is going to start appreciating cannabis a lot more. You know what I mean? And I say again, setting aside from smoking it for recreational use. When it comes down to the healing properties of the plant. I mean, I was reading somewhere the other day that the, the scientists are now saying that there's receptors in our bodies that are designed to absorb THC. 
like our bodies were meant to work with this plant. So that's very interesting. You know, I'm not a scientist myself, so I can't say I know how to prove that. But that's a very interesting bit of information. So in general, I think, you know, you can see it still. It's happening already that you can see that society is becoming more accepting of, of the plant. Yeah, that's a, it's one of the most basic systems in the body is the receptors for cannabinoids. Right. And it, it, it controls and regulates all the other functions of your body. So it's still a lot of doctors don't even understand that because right. the information's been so suppressed. You know, that's sort of the health of the individual and the healing of the individual. But when we look at society, I think we have so many problems. Do you, do you think cannabis and the consciousness around it can be a part of uplifting us out of some of this? Yeah, I think so. I mean, more so the consciousness around it. You find the people who, the people who tend to be involved in cannabis deeply usually have you know, a kind of common state of mind, which is usually a very peaceful one. Better humanity, so to speak. It's more like a one love kind of energy, you know what I mean? <laughs> among, among, and that's one of the things that we, we really hope that throughout all of this now it's becoming legal and of course now with the monetization of it comes a lot of people who have ambitions more of greed, you know, and, and different, different motives now start playing a part. So, but, but in general, as you said before, the, the, the people who use cannabis and, and part that whole industry and that whole culture of cannabis users tend to be people who have that same common vibration, which is a very peaceful one. Well, you played for a, a, a crowd that was quite uh, cannabis-infused yeah, last yeah, night. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and yeah. do, you, do you feel that from the stage versus, say, a crowd that's been drinking a lot of alcohol? Do you feel that difference? Sometimes. Sometimes when you get in a crowd that, that drink a lot of alcohol, sometimes people are like rowdy. Um, sometimes a little bit obnoxious, like, you know. And sometimes them, more fights you find in, in a, a crowd that has a lot of alcohol going on, you know. But, um, but, but for the most part, still, you know what I mean, especially even with our music and our fans, like again, so, you know, we don't really run into too many of those kind of problems, you know what I mean? We talked about how there could be some real positive effects for Jamaica in general with legalization. Do you see the Rastafarian community take part in that or that they might get pushed aside as other people come in? No, well, not if I can help it. I definitely see them taking part in it. I mean, remember, I'm a Rasta too, so even when I'm taking part in these business, I am a part of the Rasta community, you know what I mean? So in that sense, we already are. But definitely, in the general aspect, as what you're really asking me. Yeah, I do definitely see the community taking place and, you know, taking part, I should say. And I really hope, um, and I really hope so. And as they're figuring things out now, you know what I mean? I hope that we, we get a foot in the door from early, you know? And if people come down to visit from, from the U.S. or from, from wherever, how would you recommend the people to find, like, a good, authentic experience in Jamaica? The culture is vast still, so it depends on what part of it you really want to experience, you know what I'm saying? Because, for example, I grew up in Kingston which is not necessarily that where you may want to spend a vacation, which I perfectly understand that, you know what I mean? Because even me in Jamaica, when I want to cool out, I leave Kingston and go to the country, which is more the tourist side of the island, you know what I mean? But it's really just to get out and travel amongst the people because what you have happening in Jamaica now, which, you know, is a nice experience still, that the um, all-inclusive hotels, you know what I'm saying? And you go and they take, they pamper you, they take care of you, you don't even have to leave the the hotel property any at all, which I say again is a nice experience, but it's it's good to get um, out amongst the people, 
some some more than even directed to any particular places wherever you're at in Jamaica. Just try to get out off of the property that you're staying on and, and just get amongst the locals. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's good advice anywhere you go, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I want to make sure we talk about your new album. What's your direction on this? This album has a, a bit more, um, I, I said a little bit more singing than I usually do. And we did a little bit more roots too. Like my album traditionally over the years wouldn't have too much songs that would sound like something from a father's album then. So to speak. you know we sample his tracks, but we'd always modernize it. So I have a few more tracks that we kind of went back to the old school sound. Which, which I haven't had, I've never really done much of that in my career before. Did you come up around the roots style music and, and then find your own path? Or is this the, is this finding it now in a way? No, I mean, I grew up around roots style music, of course, because I mean, my father and my older brothers and sisters and just Jamaican music in general. But then as a teenager, dancehall music in Jamaica started to become popular. So a lot of the music that I really started to buy for myself as a young person was more dancehall, so it's more to the modern style of what even I would be known for. But I've definitely always have you know a, a great love for the traditional style stuff and something we will grow with, you know. And you you perform some of your father's songs usually when you when you play a show. Yeah. Do you feel that, that you're part of keeping that legacy, or are they songs that you really personally? Love, what goes into choosing those songs? All of the legacy stuff is fringe benefits. I do it because I like the songs. I, I just do it because I'm a fan of the songs and a fan of my father. And it's something we do from young, you know, very young, because even before we really had songs of our own, and we knew that we wanted to do music, we'd still sing his songs also. So it's something we, we, we grew up doing. You know what I mean? We grew up listening to his music. We are, we are, my fa we are his number one fans. You know what I mean? Just like most kids... You know, your father is, you know, the number one fan of your dad. So that's just a genuine love for the music. And then all of the, everything else now, like I said, again, is just a, another benefit with yet that you help to keep the legacy alive and keep his music, you know, living. It's, it's such an international group of people that have coalesced around that style of music and, and those songs. Um, why do you think that is? Why do you think it appeals? You can go all, as you, I'm sure you know, you can go all around the world and you find reggae and you find a Bob Marley poster and it means something to a really diverse group of people. Right. And, and a lot of the ways that you find cannabis, you, you, well, wherever you find those things, you'll also find oh, cannabis. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I guess it just, it, I guess it resonates with a lot of people. A lot of people can relate to what, you know, the, the spirit of the music. I mean, some of it you can't really put into words to tell you the truth, exactly to explain exactly why. Certain things just come on with people. Every, in every culture that you go, a smile means happiness. And a smile is a good, is a, is a good thing, positive, you know what I mean? There's, there's no way you go that people smile when they're angry. You know what I'm saying? So it's just certain things that just run through people. And at, at reggae music just happens to have some element in it that touches people no matter who they are or where they're from. So speaking of smiles, we, we uh, laid out a few jars of, of cannabis for you yeah. before the photo shoot, and I saw one of them particularly yeah. uh, kind of lit you up. What, what was it? What, what made you react that the way? Peach, uh, the peach, there was a peach. I don't, I don't quite remember the exact name of it, but it was a peach flavored herb. And the lady who was handing me the jar said, wow, it really smells like peach. And when you smell it, 
it really, really <laughs> smell like peach, you know. You know, like I say again, you have all of these different strains now. So sometimes my man say, well, this is tangerine, this and strawberry, this. But every now and then you get one that when you smell it, it really, really does mm -hmm. smell exactly like the fruit. You know what I mean? So I was like, whoa, that, that smell interesting. I go check it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Are you a food guy? Is food important to you? It's important, but I'm not a, I'm not a, no, I'm not a foodie like, like yeah. that, no. If you were going to just relax, have a spliff and a, and a nice meal, what's, what's a great meal for you? I would probably say, you have a, guy, you have a man called Squeechy. In Jamaica, they call him Squeechy. He, he's, he's at Helsha Beach. Tourists can actually go to his place. He has a place on, on the beach in, in Kingston. They fry fish and they make they fry fish and something that's called bami, which is like a cassava. It's like a little cake made out of cassava. And some little things that we call a festival, which is almost it's almost like a donut, like a corn donut kind of thing when it tasted. That's, you know, we used to go there every Saturday when I was a child growing up. And even just when I went to Jamaica just now, we went there one evening to have some food. And that would be, you know, if I'm going to recommend something, I'd say one of my perfect chill spots would be somewhere like that. You know? Yeah, that sounds all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, grew, you grew up in a time and place with a lot of heavy political strife. Is that, that's accurate. Yeah. Uh, what have you learned from that that maybe people here can benefit from that experience? How do you, how does, how does a society pull back from that? Because it seems that Jamaica is not in the same place it was in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, well, a, part, a big part of it is, is almost to, especially in the early movement of Rastafari, it was really about not being a part of society. You know what I mean? It's really about like self-sufficiency and, you know what I mean, living off of the land and living very natural. So therefore, that would mean that it wouldn't really matter what politics is doing because you don't, you're not really a part of that world. And that mentality kind of runs through Jamaican people to a certain extent to where, so you kind of have an independence then from politics in that kind of case. And that is something that we that's something I think people in, in general have to remember. Like there's really no such thing as an economy. It's not, it's not a tangible thing. It's not, that's just an, that's an idea that we all agree to say exists. And that's how come it really exists. But I mean, that's, that's all of those things are just ideas. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not a real thing, you know? So that is always to be considered. That at the end of the day, really what really counts is, yo, you know, food, clothes, shelter, loved ones. That's what counts. Not inflation and what's the, the exchange rate of the dollar. And you know what I mean? And in Jamaican, Jamaican politics, so like I said again, it was very different for me when growing up. With, with Jamaican politics, it was more like gang, like tribal. You know, you grew up. What you're, where you were born and the people who you grew up amongst, what they are is what you are and what you remain. And a lot of the times in Jamaican politics, you don't even know what the different policies are that each party is. Like what's the difference in terms of how this person wants to run the country as opposed to this person? They can't even tell you. They just know that I grew up liking that guy and that's why we stick with it. You know what I mean? When the pe people unite and have a voice together, you do, you can make change. You know what I mean? Because here it is now in our lifetime that we have seen her become legal. Who thought that? You, I would, you know what I mean? As a teenager, you wouldn't think. Even though we're singing the songs, but... Okay, I can't say we never thought that. But I mean, <laughs> you know, because we're always working toward that still. But it's like, whoa, here it is now. It's like, whoa. You know what I mean? Really? My little son will grow and not know about when we used to get pulled over for a joint. You know what I mean? That's great. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's, that's evolution. 
And I think that can give us a lot of hope that other things can change. Yeah. Because uh, it wasn't either political party in the U.S. that pushed for that change. It was the people. The people, right. The government was trying to stop them. And uh, even, the you know, we went up against the prison system. And we went up against even the medical system. Right, right. Because they want to push their pills. Right. So I think, you know, that makes me at least hopeful that if we really come together, we can change a lot of things. Right. You know? Um, and the other thing, I, I, I loved what you said about Rastafarians wanting to live outside of the system. And to me, that really reminded me in a way of a lot of the pot farmers I know. Yeah. Up in the hills, they grow food right next to their pot. And they want to they wanna make a life for themselves on their land. I'm glad you bring that up because that is one of the things where we have to be concerned about is that those, you see, this has been a part of of those people's way to sustain themselves. And that's one of the things now with it becoming legal that you don't want to be able to take that ability away from them. And even, even being here at the Emerald Cup over the last few days, we hear a couple of people say that, you know, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of it. It's great that it's legal now, but in, in, a, in a lot of senses, it's making it a, bit, a little bit harder for the little farmers, you know what I mean, to, to keep up with what's going on, you know. So that's something that we must pay attention to, to make sure that that, that original group of people who have been able to feed them, their families and make a life for themselves, through growing herb and selling herb and such forth, are still able to do so. You know what I mean? We don't want to see this thing come and it's like, oh, you have some big cigarette company come take over the thing. and You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think it's a danger, but I think it's also an opportunity. Because if we can, you know, every other part of the economy is already really controlled by the people with the most money. Yeah. And, and if we can make cannabis different, if we can make it a lot of small farmers and write the rules and create the economy to support everyone, then maybe we can hold that up as an example and say, why can't every part of the economy be like this? Well, for sure. And I can tell you even, even what's going on already because, I mean, look, if you look at Jamaica and our economy right now, and, and like California should, is a good example for us as Jamaica right now. Just to show how, how what's happening in California, how it's helping the economy here. You know what I mean? Likewise, Colorado, all of these places, you know, it's, what's going on with Local economies in the states that have chose to legalize a herb is already speaking volumes as examples to other economies. You know what I mean? I mean, like I said, especially like all Jamaica, where you know we we don't have any oil and gold and all of these things. So it would be it again. It's already speaking for itself in terms of how it can help economies. Okay. Well, well, maybe when it's uh, legal or a little sooner. I'll be able to head down there. What, what's the name of the spot where I get the... Orange get the, Hill. Orange <laughs> Hill. Yeah, in the grill. Yeah, man. Yeah, uh, man. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to a nice legal joint and <laughs> that meal, and uh, I'll let you know. Oh, oh, you're talking about that? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. That spot was Hellshire. Hellshire Beach. Hellshire Beach. Hellshire Beach. Yeah, yeah. And who do I ask Screechy. for? Screechy. Screechy? Yeah. That's the guy. Yeah, man. All right. <laughs> Screechy like to Screechy like the puff? Yeah, man. Okay. Of course, yeah, <laughs> Cool. That sounds fantastic. Yes, hey, man, bro. thanks so much. Yeah, man, thank you. I really appreciate it. Respect. I appreciate your music. Respect, bro. Well, that's the show, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And if you stuck around this long, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can put five on it at great moments in weed history. 
com and that would really help us as we research, write, edit, and publish a new episode every Weedness Day. Great Moments in Weed History is written, produced, and performed by me, David Beanstock, aka Bean. Special thanks to our sponsor, PAX. Go to PAX.com and use promo code GREATMOMENTS, all one word, for a big discount at checkout.